uh, silly jokes and stories and puns and weird statements. And so I found a list of those things this week, just this week. So kind of bear with me, see if you uh, get these puns. Old bankers never die, they just lose their balance. Oh, okay. Old postal workers never die, they just lose their zip. All superintendents never die, they just lose their principles. Old photographers never die, they just stop developing. Old accountants never die, they just lose their balance. All lawyers never die, they just lose their appeal. And old speakers like me never die, they just go on and on and on and on and on. And maybe you thought the Ten Commandments series was going to do that too, just on and on and on. But today we've come to the very end of our series, and so I'm going to invite you to do as we have. We're going to read the last commandment together. Now we're reading from the contemporary, contemporary English Bible version, so it sounds very different. Uh, join me as we read together. Do not... Or anything else that belongs to your name. I thought I had it memorized and I totally forgot it. The word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, you have figured out by now that uh, all the commandments really are connected, aren't they? So to break one, it really is kind of to break another. Um, for instance, uh, to break the commandment against stealing or to break the commandment against adultery is also probably to break the commandment against lying. Or, or to break the very first commandment, to have no other gods before us, is necessarily then to break the second commandment because we're going to make some sort of image of God and worship that instead. When we come to the Tenth Commandment, it's really no different. In fact, when I looked at the Tenth Commandment, I thought, good grief, <laughs> You know, this commandment covers all of the others as well. So it's just like all the other commandments, except in one way. All the other commandments mostly focus on external behavior, right? But this commandment not only focuses on external behavior, it focuses on internal attitude and motivation as well. It says, for instance... It's wrong to take, to want and take from another person, right? But it also says that that even desire, that desire for what another person has is wrong as, as well. Now, now, the way we learned this commandment was what? Thou shalt not what? Covet, right. That's the big word. We, we, we learned it that way. And covet is such an interesting word to me. Um, I've always thought that it was like envy. So I see something that somebody else has, and I wish that I had what they had. That's kind of what envy is. And covet is, is like that, and yet it, it sort of goes deeper. It, 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 it's like we see what other people have, and unless we get it, we're going to be miserable. Unless we get it, we're not going to be happy. Unless we get it, we're not going to feel joy. We're not going to be Content. And so it's, it almost becomes a predatory thing. We've got to have it at all costs. And so, of course, the classic example of that is the story um, that Melissa read, the story of uh, Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. You, 
you know that story, right? I mean, King Ahab wants the vegetable garden and he wants to expand it and Naboth's property is adjacent to his, so he asks to buy that land and Naboth refuses. Now, Naboth refuses because in ancient Israel there was this idea that whatever piece of property had been um, given to your family at the time your family entered the promised land, that, that that land should stay in your family forever. You remember how when, when they went in, when Joshua uh, divided up the property between all the tribes and then all the clans, and so every family originally got a piece of property. And I think what was going on is that God was, God was trying to be helpful. God was saying, you know, no matter how bad situations get for a particular family, they're always going to have this piece of property to fall back on. It was such a gracious thing. But in Israel, the idea was you, you don't ever get rid of that. You hold on to that. And so he tells the king, even the king, he tells the king, no. Well, the king is like a spoiled brat, isn't he? I mean, I, I love what the scripture says. Ahab went home sullen and angry, and he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife, the evil Queen Jezebel, comes in and she says, You are such a weak king. I'll handle this. And of course, she comes up with this scheme to get rid of Naboth. They kill him. And then she says, Here's your land. Here's your property. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about coveting, this, this coveting practice that, that Ahab uh, exhibits. Number one, he is absolutely blind to the consequences. He's not thinking about the consequences one little bit, right? So Elijah has to come to him and say, oh, you are in big trouble, dude. But he's not thinking about anybody else either. He's not thinking about Naboth. I mean, the fact that, that his wife has just murdered this man, that does, this doesn't interest him one little bit. Why? Because this sin, the sin of coveting, just like all the sins in the Ten Commandments, the root of it is simply selfishness. It's simply selfishness. It's focusing on ourselves. You know that that silly story about the stockbroker who was driving his BMW and he parked on the road and was just about to get out and a car came along and knocked his door right off, just tore it off the hinges. And uh, he was so upset that the cops came and he was jumping up and down mad. He was, Here's my, my BMW, look what that car did. And the police officer looked at him and he said, sir, he said, you, you are, I just can't get over you. Uh, stockbrokers, you are so self-focused. He said, you don't even realize, and you are so materialist, you don't even realize that when he took your door, he also took your left arm as well, ripped it right off. And the guy's eyes get really big, and he looks over the left like that, and he sees that his arm is indeed gone. And he says, oh my gosh, where's my Rolodex? My Rolex. <laughs> Oops. The watch. The watch. <laughs> <laughs> Selfish. <laughs> you see, when, when we covet, then it's all about 
us. And in a general sense, it's not just that God is prohibiting us from coveting material things, but, but also just the lives of other people. Uh, the things other people get to experience, perhaps. Sometimes I think it's possible even to covet our own past. Now, with all these commandments, what have we done? We, we've talked about the prohibition on one hand. We've talked about the promise on the other. We, we've talked about what God doesn't want us to do, but we've also talked about the invitation, what God actually wants us to do. And what is the invitation here? God is inviting us to be content, to know who we are, who we are, and just to be satisfied with it, to possess the things that we have, and to be able to say, what I have is enough. To live in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, good circumstances and challenging circumstances, and to find in them something that is hopeful, something that is good, and to be able to say thank you for it. What God wants for us is contentment, and that's the invitation. That's what God is trying to save us for in this commandment, to save us from discontent and to save us for peace and life. And joy and blessing. So I have uh, been through a season of real discontent uh, in myself. And there, there have been several reasons for that. One is um, I've turned 65. And now, and now it seems like, you know, I got on Medicare and all of a sudden I'm falling apart, you know. And I got a pass of pills to take. So I've been grumbling about that. And. And you know, I've coveted, you know what I've coveted? I have a running group that I go with and I've coveted the health of those 30-year-old guys and the way they can run. So I've been discontented about, I've been discontented about the house we have. And we have a decent house, it's a, it's a good house, but it's, it's old. I'm, I'm walking through the house the other day, I pull the door to open it and the knob falls off. Ah, it's just like, that's the kind of thing that happens all the time, driving me crazy. And then I've been discontented about uh, my family situation. And, and particularly, I think, the challenges that I see for my mother and my father. And I, you know my mom and dad. They're doing great. They're, they're almost 93. They're, they're amazing people. And yet, what I've been focused in on is the change. And it's almost like I've been coveting the past. So we had a, uh, I was, went to a conference a few, a few weeks ago. This is one that's put on by the denomination. And they do it for pastors. They do it for pastors who are early career and then they do it for pastors that are mid-career, and then they do it for pastors who are late-career. Guess which one I, I got to go to. <laughs> we call it the old geezers conference. So I'm at this conference, and I'm sort of, you know, complaining as I have, because I've been, been in that kind of attitude to people about the things that I was discontented with, and especially about the, the changes with my mom and dad. And I'm walking... <laughs> along the road with a friend of mine. And he turns to me and he grabs me by the shoulders and he shakes me, he literally shakes me, and he says, Tom, he said, your mom and dad aren't going to live forever and neither are you. What if you just decided to enjoy the time you have? Wow. <laughs> it was like a wake-up call. So now... When I pour out that 
handful of pills that I've got to take in the morning, I go, oh, that one's keeping my blood flowing. That one's helping my digestion. That one's helping me have energy to keep up with my grandkids. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, when I go through the house and the doorknob falls off, I think, wow, now I'm having a chance to practice my uh, uh, handyman skills. And I am so enjoying the time with my mom and dad. I'm content. Paul the Apostle talked just about that very thing. He, he said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And you know the kinds of difficulties Paul had been in. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been chased by people. And now he was in jail. Most likely he was going to be executed for his faith. And he says, I am content. The, the challenge, I think, with contentment is to be able to hold on to it. I mean, you, you have these times when you, you feel at peace, you feel joyful, you feel excited. But the challenge is to hang on to it. Because what I always say is that contentment kind of leaks. How do we hang on to that peace? How do we hang on to that sense of purpose and joy about our lives? And Paul puts it like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this morning, I want to just show you over here what that might look like. So uh, this is you. You recognize yourself? Or, or this might be me. And this is the water of baptism. In baptism, Christ washes away our sin. Christ enables us to feel love and fills us up with grace, the love of God and a sense of joy and commitment and contentment about our living. But along come difficult circumstances and hard times and times where we see other people and what they have and we grow discontented. And look, our contentment leaks. But here's what God does through Jesus Christ. He wraps his arms around us in forgiveness and grace and love and fills us up with the water of life again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you say that with me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can make a choice to cut it, to let our lives be discontented when we see in others things that we want ourselves, and we can destroy our lives. Or we can make a choice to turn to Christ and depend on his love and find peace and joy and hope in whatever we're dealing with and whatever situation we're in. May we know contentment in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.